Anybody ever hear that cliche? God won't give you more than you can handle. Thing is that true revival, and we've been in a series on revival. What does it look like when the Holy Spirit just shows up and just God shows up in his power? What happens is that true revival brings depth. True revival casts a light on our unexamined assumptions. We're calling this series, All Heaven Breaking Out. And I'm sure you've heard the expression, you know, all hell was breaking loose. You know, there was a fight. Um, it, was, it was New Year's Eve, and we were with the family, and then these cousins came, and then everything kind of went crazy, and all hell broke loose. We can, we can think of a lot of times in our life where it feels like all hell is breaking loose. Where the people that we care about and we love just keep doing the same thing again and again and again. And we ourselves keep doing the same thing we don't want to do again and again and again. And it can feel like hell is just breaking out. But revival is heaven breaking out and breaking in to earth. Heaven is, is disrupting the status quo. It's disrupting business as usual. This business as usual can only change when God decides it's time to change. Did you hear what I said? This business as usual, this status quo, our spiritual climate changes when God turns the light on. God will not be manipulated. You can't twist his arm. When he shows up, you respond. 350 years ago, there was a, a group of men, and some of them were named John Wesley, Charles Wesley, his brother, another man named George Whitfield, and a bunch of others, and they formed this group and they were, they were studying together, and they were in college together, and they started this group, and everybody outside the group called it the Holy Club, and it wasn't like a compliment. <laughs> and these, the, these men were very, very serious about God, and they were reading deep spiritual books, and they were pouring out all their time they could reading the scriptures, and what they found out was that, that the church didn't match what they read in history. The church didn't live out of what it was supposed to. And if we looked at the church today, we'd have to come to the same conclusion. Amen? We, we would have to come to the same conclusion. And, and that one of the things they realize is that when the church is the church, it speaks out for those who are oppressed. These men would fast two or three days a week. Not just like for a week, but all the time. They would read the word all the time. And they would do crazy stuff like they, they, would, they would go to they'd go to judge and they'd say, listen, put us in the room with the man that's about to be hung tomorrow for murder. 
Because we want to spend the night, the last night of his life, he ought to have a priest. He ought to have access to somebody. He ought to have an opportunity to hear and maybe get to taste the mercy of God in the last night of his life. But see, they told him, well, you're crazy. We're not providing security, nothing. We put you in that cell. Whatever happens is on you. And they said, whatever, put us in that cell. And they were doing so many things. They were grinding. God was using it. I need you to hear this. God never wastes your effort. You might not see it paying off at the time. You're praying, you're serving, you're trying as best as you can, and it doesn't feel like you're making any progress. God never wastes that effort. But that effort, my brothers and sisters, doesn't twist the hand of God. That, 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 that effort doesn't impress God. That, that, that effort doesn't give you something like, okay, you did this, now you deserve that. You know, they weren't content just to read about what others were doing. They went out to minister to the poor, the sick, the widow, and the orphan. They, they went out to preach the gospel. John Wesley got to go um, take a, a trip on a boat from England to Georgia where there was a colony. This is before the U.S. had become independent, and it was a colony of England, and there was a massive storm. And John Wesley, along with just about everybody else in the ship, thought they were going to die. But there was this strange group of people on board the Moravians. And if you remember from my last sermon, the Moravians were these wild-eyed Christians. At one point, they had a hundred-year prayer watch where they didn't stop praying, and they sent 300 missionaries. At one point, the teens, the youth group, went to the parents and said, listen, we want to see the gospel run wild in Barbados, but we can't no, we don't have the means or the money to get there. So what we're suggesting is you sell us as slaves just so we can get to this place and they can have the opportunity in Barbados to hear of a loving God who forgives sins. So in 1735, these Moravians were singing of the sea as the ship seemed like it was going to fall apart, and they were saying, we are neither afraid for ourselves or for our children. Look, John Wesley's dad was a priest, and his mother taught all the children to learn and read in Latin and Greek. He had the opposite of what most of us in this room have had in life. He had discipline, he had training, he had knowledge, he had zeal, but he knew in his soul that he didn't have faith. So when he was looking down at these Moravians, he's like, something they have I don't have. He said, I came to America that I'd preach the gospel to the lost, and I found out that I'm lost. I found out I'm the one that needs to be saved. He writes in his journal, 
prior to this, he writes, I was fighting continually, but not conquering. I fell and rose and fell and rose again. Does anybody relate to that? Does anybody relate to that? He was fighting spiritually, continually, but not conquering. And he kept falling and rising and falling and rising again. Until one day he was invited by a friend to a meeting. Now you got to understand, back in the day, blood had been spilled about religion. It, it was not something that, um, it's hard for us to relate to at this point in history. But back in the day, like, you couldn't just go around and say whatever you wanted about God with no consequence. And there was a meeting at a place called Aldersgate, and they were just reading books, Christian books, but even that was scandalous. <laughs> even that was like, what, was there a priest there? You know, was it cleared by the church? Is it, is it all straight? Is it kosher? You know? And they, what was happening is he went in, and there was these young, enthusiastic Christians who were kind of oddballs and kind of out of the mainstream and didn't, you know, the, the official church wasn't really recognizing what they were doing. And there was a guy there reading the commentary, the preface, the opening to Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. And this is where John Wesley writes, that night I felt my heart was strangely warmed. Some of you have felt that. And he realized for the first time in his life that he could never be good enough. He could never work hard enough. He could never do enough good works that God was no longer angry with him because he sent his son. And the way that you receive the grace that God had offered in the cross is by faith alone. It's just by saying, yeah, I need that. I need Jesus. I need his salvation. And, and then his buddy George Whitfield was like, listen, come help me. And, and George Whitfield started preaching outside, which was against all the rules and all the, the culture at the time. And he went and he preached. And, and, and it was at this place where these coal miners were on their break. And he wrote down in his journal, I will never forget what I saw that day as I was preaching the word of God, as I was sharing the thing that I had experienced, that it wasn't about my family background, it wasn't about what I had done, it wasn't about all the prayers I prayed, but it was just the gift of God to have faith in Jesus and to be saved from my sin and to be born again. He saw these coal miners' faces change. He saw the tears running down their face, leaving trails as they were covered in soot. And John Wesley, he preached, and he today holds the record for spending the most time on horseback in the Guinness Book of Records. 
He led, he preached, he organized people. He shaped the history of the world and the church. And I, and I say the church and revival and all this stuff, but we got to break it down and make it simple. Wife-beating alcoholics became pastors. Amen? Rich, wealthy aristocrats that were pro-slavery repented of their sin. Guys like, that were driving slaves like John Newton became a Christian, repented of the evil way they lived, and wrote songs like Amazing Grace. Heaven broke out. And there was literally singing in the streets. I encourage you to, to, to read about the Methodist revival. There was literally, can you imagine Gloucester City? You're walking down, instead of hearing the fighting, or the fireworks, nonstop, <laughs> all summer. But imagine you're walking down the street and you can hear from the living rooms singing as people are doing their evening devotions. People would gather to church on Sunday and they would cry tears of repentance for their sin. And this wasn't just emotions, but men and women were being made new. God showed up. A miracle had happened. And one of the false expectations we have, one of, one of the things that we need to, to hear, one of the things that we need God to do for us, remind us tonight, is that he loves us so much. Thank you. He loves us so much. But we, we need to have our, we, we need to be retaught some things. And one of those things is this expectation, like I shared earlier, that God won't give you more than you can handle. And yet all of the Bible and all of history and even your own experience tells you that's not true there's lots of times you're completely overwhelmed there's lots of times that God gave you more than you could ever handle and we just read tonight that Paul said life beat us up so bad we wanted to die you don't think that John Wesley was ever overwhelmed don't you understand the more power and influence you have the more pressure that lays on your shoulders even the good things that you want. Some of you are like, I just want to be married. Do you not understand? And don't amen this too loudly, wives. But having a husband is pain and pressure. Having a wife is pressure and pain. Having children. Oh, Lord. We love them, but having children is overwhelming. You want a raise, you want a job, you want a car, all the things that we want add crazy amount of pressure in our lives. And what we want is we want advice and we want cliches and we want sayings that that, that sound like something from the astrology section in the newspaper or something that came from a fortune cookie or something that you can post again on Instagram and Facebook that doesn't really challenge us, doesn't really make us think that much. 
It's just something that we can just say real quick, like, hey, this will pass too. It is what it is. It'll get better. Don't worry about it. God won't put nothing on you that you can't handle. And we tell ourselves these things, but they're not rooted in the scriptures. We tell ourselves, if God can't put more on us than we can handle, which is not a Bible verse, <laughs> then what do we do? We, ra- we reason it out and we say, well, then I've been through so much. I must be like the most badass person ever. <laughs> right? Like, I, I've just, I've just, I just must be so strong because God feels like he can lay this heavy weight on me. And God is trying to take your eyes off yourself to the one we meet in Revelation to the one who sits on a pale horse who has a tattoo down his side that rose from the dead. And there is no one like the Lord who died and came back to life. And you want to, what, what we want to do is we want to put our focus not on how strong we are, but the, the word of God puts our focus on how strong the Lord is. We see it in 2 Corinthians so clearly. It says we will share in his sufferings. We will share in his comfort. It's not either or, okay? Like you don't get to just, I want to pick the comfort part. <laughs> like I don't want to pick the suffering part. Give me the type of special faith where I don't have to suffer. That's not what God's word has ever taught. You will share. In, and, 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 and Paul's interesting. His language is interesting. He says, in the overflow of suffering. What a word. I know I'm not out of this room. I know you hear me. I know there are people here who have felt the overflow of affliction. The overflow of suffering. Paul admits in verse 8 that life was so overwhelming that they wanted to die. Tell me how some Christians think that they who read the Bible can have a more solid spot than those who wrote the Bible. Do you hear what I'm saying? There are those super califagiosis Christians. <laughs> there are those people who say, nothing bothers me. I am blessed by the best. I, nothing touches me because I stand on God's promises. And Paul, Paul on the other side is saying, you know what? We were overwhelmed to the point we wanted to die. I want to let you in on a secret. You're not tougher than Paul. When we hear Paul in our modern ears, American ears, say this, we, we, we tend to go like in this direction. And we tend to say, Paul, it's time for you to see a counselor. <laughs> right? It's time for you to, 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 to talk with a, with a professional. And we have it all background, backwards. See, you don't got to talk to someone only when the pipes are bursting. You don't got to talk to someone only when you get to the point where the pressure of life is so great that now you are suicidal. Paul is like... 
the definition of a tough man, and yet he wears his emotions on his sleeve all the time. Not just here in this passage. Paul is always talking about where he's at. You don't have to wait till you get to the point where you feel like you're buried six feet under before you talk to somebody. Do you hear me? You don't have to wait until you're so overwhelmed to the point where you're despairing of life. You know, we can say nothing bothers me. But Paul says, I was overwhelmed to the point of death. Don't be that super spiritual Christian that shuts people down in their honesty or in their pain. Don't be like Job's counselors. They needed to just stay with what they did the first seven days. Job lost his kids, his home, his wife, everything. And for seven days, Job's friends sat with him silently and mourned with him. And then as soon as they opened their mouths up, they messed it up. And what were they doing? They were quoting the Bible. They were, they were, they, they, they were telling them stuff that wasn't necessarily wrong. But, they, but God tells them, you are miserable friends. Paul doesn't point us just to be positive. He doesn't tell us to fake it till we make it. He doesn't tell us to speak this and that into existence that we want. He points us to Christ. And do you want true renewal? Do you want true revival? Do you feel like Wesley? Always fighting, never winning. Always striving, never reaching. I've got bad news for you. People have tried a whole lot harder than you. People have learned Greek and Hebrew and Latin, visited prisons, gave up children to the mission field. People have unbelievable family backgrounds. There are people who have done everything and laid everything down. And what I'm trying to say is the answer isn't just to turn up the pressure. That's never going to work. It's not just try harder and harder and harder and one day you'll hit it. Now, my brother, Chris... He, uh, he's a new Christian, he's a plumber, and he told me about this one time that he went to an office in Westville, and the water was leaking, and it was coming down into the ceiling. And so they came, and they, they fixed the water pipes, and then they get a call the next day. Well, okay, so it's not leaking in the ceiling anymore, but now it's leaking in the walls on the second floor. So they came... The second day, and he started fixing those pipes up as well. And then three days into it, every time they'd fix a pinhole here or there that was leaking, there was another spot that it would leak. Some of you know exactly what this is like. You change one habit, and then another one pops up. There's a pressure in your life, and you try to, like, you ever see that, that commercial where he slaps the seal right on the big water tank, and somehow that magically stops it from leaking? Right. That, we all believe that's going to happen. Or, or he sprays something on the boat, and now all of a sudden he can float on the boat. Sh sure. <laughs> sure. You know, some of us know what it's like to, you quit smoking, and now you can't stop eating, 
right? The pressure doesn't, if you don't change the pressure, you quit one habit, now you've got another one. Pops up somewhere else. You stop hitting explore on Snapchat and Instagram and looking at women that aren't your wife, looking at men who aren't your husband, and all of a sudden you feel like you never felt before a sense of not being appreciated. You, you feel things that you, you, you numbed out before. There, there's this, like, when you have pressure going through the pipes, you can't just slap Band-Aids on the holes. It's not just finding the weak joints and finding the pinholes. you got to change the pipes, and that's what Chris had to do. He had to go to Westville and pull out all the copper that was there and set up a whole new plumbing system. See, you need a new heart. You need faith in God, and God needs to give you this gift of being born again where what you love is different than what you loved before. I remember I took a team. We hosted a team, and it was, it was in Kensington. It was a bunch of college kids, and we were going to go under the bridges and help pull people out who were shooting dope and heroin and um, I remember one of the kids asking, well, what happens if, like, they're out of their mind and one of them swings at us and we get hit? You know, and and, and 99% of these kids had never been hit in their life. And I said, well, first off, God's angels can protect you. (laughs) You're on his mission If they don't, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It hurts to get hit in the face. But listen to me. You are going to heaven. Do you hear me? You are going to heaven. You can share in the comforts of Jesus, in the glory of Jesus. You can share in the mission of Jesus. You better be able to share in the pain that Jesus shared. You better be able to share in the afflictions and the sorrows. You're going to heaven. See, you need a new destiny. So hear me out. So even if your marriage is completely unable to rise from the dead, even if you got cancer and it won't be healed, even if you are in an impossible situation between a rock and a hard place and you don't see the way out, I need you to hear this. When you have faith in Jesus, this sets you free. You are going to heaven. It changes everything, and it frees you up in this life. You walk around in a different way. You have freedom. You don't have that freedom if you, if, if you just are only thinking about the, the next five minutes. If you can only think about, I need to be healed in the next five minutes. I want to tell you, if you believe in Jesus, you will be healed. You will not feel pain forever. You will not feel lonely forever. You will not feel the struggle you're in forever. Listen to me. When we go to cliches and fortune cookies and astrology readings and all this goofy stuff, um, things like God won't put more on you than you can handle, I, I just want you to know this. It's like you're taking a water gun and you're trying to shoot your problem with a little water gun 
And I don't mean a super soaker. I mean the little dollar store one that doesn't even work. And Jesus is standing right next to you trying to hand you a bazooka. Romans 1.8, the gospel is the power. That's where we get the word dynamite. <laughs> Something we can relate to. Maybe you set some fireworks off. I know we did last night. The gospel is the power. The gospel is the bomb. The gospel is the dynamite. <sighs> God will overwhelm you. Corey Tamboom said this. She said, you may never know Jesus is all you need. Until Jesus is all you have. You will never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You don't think she was overwhelmed in a Nazi concentration camp, losing her family, her father, her siblings, starving, no clothes, being marched into a gas chamber and marched out the next day for hiding Jews. You don't think that she could identify with Paul who said we were overwhelmed to the point of death? I want you to be encouraged. Being sick, struggling in life, having problems, not knowing how you're going to pay your bills and not knowing what tomorrow is going to bring. Those things in and of themselves are not sin. Do you hear me? Being depressed is not a sin in and of itself. It's what you do with that. It's, what you, it's where you let that take you. Do you take all of that depression and anger and hurt and then go and hurt others? I want you to know that praying and fasting and meeting with other Christians and listening to sermons and reading the word of God, these are the means that God gives us. We talked Thursday night. We are made for the valley, but we need some tools in the valley. We need some help in the valley. We need some friends in the valley. We need, you know what I'm saying? Like God doesn't let us live on the mountain all the time. He doesn't live in blessing nonstop. There are times that we are down in the spot where people are demon-possessed, where there's struggles, where sometimes we just aren't feeling it. But when you pray, when you show up and serve, when you're at church, when you're reading your Bible, even when you don't feel like it, it's like taking a can of gasoline and you're just pouring it all over the place. And when Jesus sends his spirit to set the thing on fire, it will catch on fire. And so some of you, you're like, need to hear a word that take the pressure off yourself. All that Jesus wants for you is to have faith. It's all he's asking from you. He's the only one that can light the match. He's the only one that can make the real difference. And others of you need to hear this word. Pour some gasoline down. <laughs> Press in. And wait on the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for 
Lord, I thank you for the example of men like John Wesley. When you think about the, just the mark that he made in this world, the millions and millions of people whose eyes were open, who, who could say the same thing that he said, that their hearts were strangely warmed. I pray that we would experience your salvation. We would know what it means to be born from above, that we would know what it means to have faith as a gift from you. But I pray we would also know what it means to wait on you, to pour down the gasoline on the altar, that we would know what it means to be quietly holding on hope that you alone are able to change our situation. I thank you, Lord, that you can change this church in a minute, and it would take us a hundred years to do it without you. But you can just speak a word. You can just speak life. And we pray for that. We pray, Father, that you would speak life into us. Speak strength in us where we are weak, Lord Jesus. Speak joy into us where we are depressed, Lord Jesus. Lord, we have shared in the sufferings with you. Lord, let us share in the overflow of comfort with you, Lord Jesus. We ask, Father, that you would be with us. We ask that you would wean us off all these worldly things where we try to get our comfort. And I pray we would be comforted in you and be able to extend that comfort to our brothers and sisters. Amen.